0: This meeting is being recorded. Oh, that sounds so, that sounded so official. I know. This meeting is being, this is a, this is like a real meeting. This is a meeting that adults go to. I know, now I'm scared. I know, not amateurs. Clive, did did you make it? Are you here?
1: I'm here. I just got in.
0: Clive, you've made it to the inner sanctum.
1: (laughs) Hang on, I don't have my camera on, right? Here we
0: go. Oh yeah, that's better. Yes. That you look like a million bucks.
1: Well, it's uh I was up at three o'clock it's only eight o'clock now, but I was up at three o'clock for some reason today. Um I think it was the excitement Todd, of being interviewed.
0: <laughs> Clive, if that's true, then you need to get a hobby. Any hobby at all.
1: <laughs> no, it's uh it's it's really nice that you invited me. I appreciate it. I... I've also been playing um jazz guitar for the last couple of hours. <laughs>
0: Hey daddy-o I'm using jazz terms can you tell Because today we're going to talk to Clive Lloyd By request I'm always kind of looking for people to talk to And Clive hit the radar screen It's really, I I actually think I talk about it in the conversation But I thought I'd already talked to him But I hadn't, so I was wrong And I'm wrong on a lot of stuff So that's not that freaky to me I mean I'm not that freaked out by that But I got a chance to talk to him And it was so interesting Well, you heard that he sort of let why the fact that before he started doing the work he's doing now around safety and leadership, he was a session guitarist in jazz guitar. So I don't know that many people who do that. Like, I think this is it, the only person I know. And I was really interested in the relationship that jazz has with work. Um, Not that I know anything about either, because I don't but i know that jazz really is an improvisational sort of adaptive product that really moves with variability towards a purpose successfully and that's also what work is i mean it's it's almost exactly the same thing i mean except that one sounds better than the other and you'll have to pick which one that is i mean that's up to you i can't i can't answer that for you and so what was going to be a podcast about his new book which we we talk about, don't worry, actually ended up being a podcast about the notion of improvisation and leadership, which is super interesting. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about the fact that if you're the band leader and your band is doing improvisational jazz, how do you lead that group? What do you do to make that happen? And that's the conversation that we had quite surprisingly, which is the greatest thing about these conversations. You know, a lot of times people say, well, can you send me the questions early? Well, the answer to that is no, I can't send because I don't know what we're going to talk about. How am I supposed to know what we're going to talk about until we talk about it? That's kind of where I'm coming from. And really, it's just a chance to hang out. I mean, that's that's all the podcast is ever for anyway. Just you and me and usually another person just hanging out. That's what we're doing. We're just hanging out, having a little convo chatting it up as it were and that's exactly what happens in this podcast and it's fun and it's interesting and i think you're going to like it in fact i pretty much know you're going to like it i did i had fun so how's your week going good it's getting crazy um so we knew this was coming and lots of experts told us this early on but it looks like lots of the world is locking down again and this delta variant and delta variant b are presenting um, an entirely new challenge. And what you're seeing is a bunch of risk fatigue. I mean, you're watching this happen, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. And as we have risk fatigue, then people are going to, they're sort of going to respond to that risk fatigue in many different ways. Fires in Paris, uh, people getting angry in airplanes all over the world, Uh, uh, real pushbacks on things like mask mandates and vaccines. All of this is normal. I, I'm not sure it's good. I'm not sure any of it's good. I'm not saying that. But it's all a function of just chronic risk. risk yeah, I can't ever talk. Chronic risk exposure, which is really a big part of what we spend some time exploring as, uh, as we progress forward, where, wherever that means. Um, the, the idea that we're still bouncing forward is, is important. It's harder to think about now than it was 18 months ago. But it's still a big part of how we think about and, and move into the places where we move into. And, and so that's something to think about as well. I, I don't want to spend too much time on that just because I, I'm so excited to actually let you listen to this conversation. So why don't we do that? Let's, let's actually listen to the pod. This is Clive Lloyd, and he's going to talk to us about leadership, improvisation, and jazz on the pre actionnet Podcast. Sit back, cat daddy, cool daddy, and listen to the jams.
1: Uh, it's all I used to do actually until I went and studied psychology I was I was a session musician for for quite a long time. Really? And so these days whenever I get the chance yeah it's look frankly it's what I prefer to do. Um safety's you know I don't find it thrilling. Um I, I find changing stuff you know facilitating change good and interesting but um safety I don't find particularly interesting. There's a lot of overlap though between jazz I reckon and yeah. and, and, and what we do. Um a lot of what we do is improvisation right when we're um, facilitating workshops yeah
0: and and jazz my theory of of jazz is that you basically and this is really true of jazz guitar is you make a mistake and then try to repeat it as fast as possible that's that's kind of my definition (laughs) of jazz am i wrong on that
1: no I, i think well i think it's really important like when you hit the wrong note you can make it right by whatever note you play after it, ah. um, or as you say, yeah, you just play it again like several times deliberately, yeah, and then you know people think, well, he's obviously on that because he's mostly dissonant or whatever it is.
0: So, so I actually think you're <laughs> right on target. I think that the 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 alignment between what we do in organizations to try to keep them safe and reliable and playing jazz guitar is. Uh, the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. One has just more gear than the other.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's that's right. There is a lot of overlap. I mean, seriously, when I do a workshop, you know, if we start at eight and start at five, well, that's kind of a casting stone to a degree. There's key points I want to hit during the, those sessions. Right. But between eight and five, as long as I hit those key points, you know, um, I'll go where I want, where the group wants, where we need to go, I'll go where the energy is. You know, I I tell you what too, it's it's really it really jazz illustrates the difference between work as imagined versus work as done. Absolutely. <laughs> if somebody puts a yeah, they put a song chart in front of you. If you're playing jazz, well you get the key right and you see how uh, many bars are in a section, but after that, man, you're you're just making shit up.
0: Excuse I mean, me. The <laughs> the environment sort of dictates what happens. Can you can you teach people to improvise? I I'm always curious yeah, about the, the notion of improvisation. And so let me, let me own that question a little better. And then you can correct me like crazy. You can teach people the technical aspects of improvisation, but can you truly teach someone how to improvise?
1: Uh, look, it is a brilliant question. You can give them the tools they need in, in order to sort of solo and, and, you know, sort of play, play nicely over a chord change. But I think, genuine improvisation is just coming from you in that moment. Uh, again, most jazz players, they've got all the theory up their sleeves. You know, they know their scales. They know the modes. Um, they've got all, all that jazz theory. But when they're actually doing a solo, they're not thinking in those terms. You know, they, they, they're just pulling it out. And their fingers kind of know where to go. But it's their, I guess, their, their inner spirit or whatever. That is their creativity. But I don't think you can teach that. But I think you can you give people the the toolkit um, that would allow them better to freely express themselves afterwards. If that kind of makes sense.
0: Well, so does improvisation take expertise?
1: Uh, not necessarily. Um, I, I think many jazz players would argue with you. I, I think jazz players can be a little bit elitist.
0: Oh sometimes. no! Sometimes. Oh, yeah. No, I think um, actually, I think jazz players <laughs> invented the notion of elitism. So let's just give you that one right from the start. <laughs>
1: yeah uh, and that hasn't changed um but look anybody frankly can you can improvise with your voice right uh without any jazz training or anything you you can take a song and just hum and whistle um and many people do uh that in effect is improvising well so let's correlate Um, let's jazz let's
0: let's correlate that with a worker right because the correlations are really strong here i mean this is actually an excellent topic um expert workers expert performers who we know a couple things about. One is we know that in kind of the Jens Rasmussen mode, they're they're in skill base. They're they're doing things they've done a lot. They have a tremendous amount of potential attention resource that they don't necessarily need to use because, you know, they're so versed in the scales, yeah. they can do them in their sleep backwards on their head. I mean, and, and you're probably the same way when you play scales on the guitar. There, there are some that you, yeah. it, they don't require a lot of active thought to do, right? and yet experts will always tread closer to the margin without transgressing they are, they very rarely you know go over the margin but they'll get really close to the edge because that's exciting and fun right and that probably is how you play guitar fair enough
1: yeah absolutely I mean, you know, if I've got a relatively unskilled job, I can probably get by using a pentatonic scale, if I can use that analogy. But if I've been doing that same job day in, day out, um, maybe I just wanted to get a bit more interesting, right? So I might drop a flat five in there, um, which looks and sounds a bit dissonant to the people around me. But when they see how interesting it is, maybe, you know, and if I'm playing in a jazz band, like they will support me in that change and they will actually change what they're playing to actually suit that.
0: So how uh, sig- we
1: might get in trouble.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the fear's there, right? How significant is that potential for the team, for the ensemble? Or maybe I should say it ensemble. How was that? That was kind of that was a little Frenchy, right? How, how, how potential for the team to sort of support the improvisation? How important is that?
1: It's, it's quite important um, because, yes, I mean, we're all sort of playing roughly, uh, uh, you know, across the same chord changes. Um, but even when people are playing chords, they will improvise instead of playing a minor chord, they play a minor ninth or something like that. That then gives a signal to the soloist, oh, you stuck the minor ninth in there, that will change now how I approach that. And so we're kind of in this together, right? Um, If one person's just going off on his own or her own uh, soloing, and if the band aren't with that, it's not going to sound great. Jazz sounds at its best when everybody kind of knows where the dude's going. Um, and they, they, they actually join with that. That's when jazz is really cooking. Uh, if it's just one person playing, playing flat flat, uh, flat fives and everybody else is playing perfect fifths, well, it's, it's going to sound really dissonant. So, you know, we, we need to all be in it together for it to work.
0: Well, so let's take this to a place that you know lots about, and that is how important is leadership? And where does leadership come from in an improvisational ensemble, in, in a in a team of workers who are improvising in real time for a, Uh, a complex task in a varied environment jazz when when workers are performing jazz where's leadership come from
1: um so let me let me go to the jazz example usually in a jazz ensemble to use your beautiful frenchism i'm sure there's a better word than frenchism
0: (laughs) i'm sure Uh, there's
1: usually a band leader right and the band leader effectively and they're actually called band leaders uh, they would really set the, the vision, if you were, In other words, they choose the set. They choose what songs they're doing. They would also set out what key those various songs are, the overall tempo perhaps, um, and, and maybe the order of soloing. So the sax goes first, the bass goes next, then the drums. That's kind of it. Once they've set out the vision and the, you know the core aspects of it, they are, and that's why they choose their particular musicians. They they give them absolute free license. There's no constraints. They just say, "Well, those are the constraints. Those are the the must haves, if you will. Go for your life."
0: How important is trust?
1: Ah, paramount, uh, in, in to the degree with which um, you know. If if I'm playing at a gig and I'm a soloist and I I start soloing over the drummer's solo and the bass player's solo. Um, I've pretty much just signaled to the rest of the group that they can't trust me to do what we they can't trust me to sort of, you know, do what should be done. I've sort of violated that, uh, and here's the safety language coming in, right? I've violated that particular convention, so that that would be, you know, a conversation, um, and no doubt that would change if you're a reasonable musician um, or a reasonable person. But if the same thing happened at the next gig, man, we're getting a different guitarist. <laughs>
0: blame the guitarist. And and I and can't the, always blame the guitarist. And the sad thing is that guitarists are a dime a dozen. Yeah. But not like bassists. Bassists <laughs> they they uh they give you a free bassist when you buy stuff, so that's 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 how you do it. So, <laughs> so that actually works well. Well, I, I find this I actually find this metaphor that you're uh that we started on probably re- well, first of all incredibly accurate and and super interesting, but probably relatively straight across kind of a, a good way to talk about um, this this next generation of safety. And it's funny because I haven't right. heard it spoken of in these terms at all. Lots of times we talk about improvisation and, and we, we talk about those things, but we haven't talked about really the power of the, of the band, of the team, and really the important role that the leader has in setting expectations, sort of highlighting the key components uh maybe maybe pointing out some potential pitfalls uh you know when we start when we stop all those things are are really significant that's actually that's a pretty i think i think we might have actually just recognized your next book
1: (laughs) yeah the the jazz of safety huh
0: yeah and you could you could actually put like a soundtrack with it and it would be kind of a like the audio book would be amazing (laughs)
1: Ah, that, now there's an idea.
0: Why not, uh, dude? An idea. I can't. I'm trying to think of a reason not to, and nothing, nothing's coming into my head. That's that's powerful. No, I,
1: honestly, uh, there's, there's. I mean, we're just we're literally we're improvising right now on on that particular theme. I'm sure if I actually sat down and gave it some solid thought, uh, we could draw quite a lot of parallels.
0: Oh, I I think straight across, and and I think that would be something to do. It would be less interesting on a podcast. The great thing about podcasts like this is it's just a conversation. You know, if if we pre if we predetermine yeah. what we're going to talk about, then we lose the power of improvisation. And and we lose the ability Idle. to sort of move where we think the most significance in the conversation will be, which again probably is another direct correlation to the way workers do work. To me, what I found most interesting about what you said is is that relationship between the expertise that the performer brings in to the band with his instrument you know and that relationship that the expertise has with the other band members and the leaders i I think that's really powerful stuff i think we're onto something man Mm.
1: i think we are and yeah imagine if the band leader if if i did branch out of my uh, pentatonic scale and i started playing with the exotic scales but the band leader said no contain that constrain that um that happens at work right yeah um our people start moving from work as imagined um Because they see a quicker and easier and more interesting and more expedient way to do things, and then they get kind of slapped around for that. The message is kind of be ordinary yeah and, <laughs> and nobody's going to be ordinary for long. nobody wants to be ordinary well for long.
0: because ordinary doesn 't make beautiful music right i mean the the outcome of right. this uh of of being in a uh, playing a sweet gig with a great band is that for three hours, which will seem like three minutes. You get to make these beautiful outcomes, right? Which is which is really similar to the way workers do work. That's that's a that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah. I think that's cool. How much All did right. this? I'm how just... much did this influence your book? <laughs> well, and it um, did. I mean, you I, may not have been, you may not have seen it exactly the way we just talked about it, but it clearly influenced.
1: No, I totally believe though, Todd that everything we do is um, influenced by the, the the lens we see the world through. And I've been seeing the the world, if you like, through the lens of music and more recently jazz in particular for a long time. The other major lens for me for the last 30 years has been clinical psychology. And without doubt, those two key lenses um, are what has shaped uh, my approach to the book and to what what I do with with organisations. You know, I was never... um, really into safety at all he probably picked up and still not really i was dragged into safety kicking and screaming um but when i went into it you know i brought the lenses that i know and one is improvisation one is um and entertaining too by the way you know when when you're a musician you're an entertainer and when i'm doing workshops or or, you know um facilitating workshops i don't really count myself as a trainer um you know that that entertainment is there Uh, this is just my view but honestly 60% 60% I reckon of what I do and why I'm uh, quite good at it is because they're entertaining, right? Um, people actually want to sit to the end and see what's going to happen next. They're actually really involved. Now, you can have the best content, the most interesting stuff in the world, but if you're standing behind a lectern and, and you're boring as hell, um, you, you're, you're doing nothing. You're, you're changing nothing. So definitely that 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 lens has, has played a big part in what I do.
0: So why leadership? I mean, I, I could answer why I think it's an important thing for you to do, but that's kind of boring. I'm much more interested in why, why you picked leadership.
1: Okay. So I'm not, I'm not sure I picked it, mate. Um, let me just give you a, a very quick – look, I, going back uh, 25 years, working then purely in clinical psychology. My, my background is not organizational psychology. It's clinical psychology and counseling psychology. And I was, uh, at that time, I was working in addictions in the field of the addictions, which is kind of a a tough area. Um, And there's some things I discovered back then, again, that I've really brought into safety. And one of the ones, and it's it's got so much overlap with with your words from your books, um, is that behaviours are not the problem. All right? Behaviors are expressions of the problem. Right. And that's addiction all over. Another one is, um, in, you know, we do a lot of family therapy around addiction because it's, it's usually not an individual thing. It's usually more of a family system thing. Um, secrets keep us sick. That, was an, that I bring into the work because I see so many secrets in organisation. Secrets when, when the workforce keeps secrets from management to avoid getting in trouble. So anyway, th- those are a few of the types of things I brought over. But how I got into it, Uh, into leadership was at the time I was in a senior leadership role. I was the clinical director of a rehab and the nature of addiction is that sometimes you lose people, right? Um, Through overdose and drug related, you lose people. And so I was often confronted with a a mum and a dad and needing to do grief counseling after their son or daughter was, was not there anymore. And, you know, this is really challenging work, um, but those people need all the help they can get. Of course they do. So, after a while of doing that, I'd gained this huge experience in grief counseling. And as I was doing that work, my phone starts ringing hot from EAP providers. So that's what they're called here. I'm not right. sure. I, uh, employment assistance programs. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much the and same. And what they here. wanted me to do was, yeah, uh, what they wanted me to do was to go to a mine site or a construction site or an oil and gas plant after a fatality on site and again this I'd, I'd never worked in high hazard i'd been nestled away in you know nice clinical settings and so they want me there again to do counseling and clinical work with um, team members who'd lost a colleague with with uh, wives and children who'd lost uh, a husband or a dad and all, all this they're doing all this humanistic stuff so the first thing that got me was how frequently this happened i, I didn't know this stuff um, australia's a small population but we we kill 200 people a year Uh, in the workplace and so week after week I'm doing this work and as I'm doing all that humanistic stuff the leaders brought me in to do that humanistic stuff as I'm doing that though child and this again was news to me uh, concurrently what they're doing is um, audits investigations they're looking for violators and offenders and I'm thinking where else in an organization would you use that language (laughs) <laughs> we use it in safety. So I'm doing all this humanistic stuff on the one hand, and they've got their lawyers, by the way, to send out the, we just want to remind people that, you know, our people's safety is the highest priority. And I'm sitting there looking at these investigations thinking, really, you reckon the workforce are getting that message right now? And so look, um, it got to me. Um, in terms of what I'm um, doing, this humanistic stuff, it would seem just for these people, because nothing is changing in the organisation. What are do you doing the other end? you know, prevention-wise. And there was nothing that I recognised from being a leader myself and through my clinical psychology lens that these leaders were doing that would bring people on the journey to, to in, create intrinsic motivation to really – and the other thing I couldn't fathom, Todd, I'm sorry I'm talking a lot here, was that rare in organisations, I believe, workers and team members already share uh, a goal they have a goal already that they absolutely share. And that is the goal not to be killed or hurt. Now that's rare in the organization. It's rare that the team and the the leaders already have a key goal that they share. So that's there. And yet what I found was even though they already share a goal, this adversarial thing had been set up, you know, so we share a goal, but we're going to tell you how to do it and tell you when you're in trouble, if you don't do it, and all of those sorts of things. So, yeah, it just got me off my butt, really, to, to look. At, uh, and behaviourism was rife. It was all about behaviourism. And, again, that's where that my whole thing from addiction treatment. But behaviour is not the problem. Behaviour is an expression of the problem. And often they can be valuable. Those behaviours that you're viewing as violations or offences, they can actually point to what we could actually do differently. And so that's what got me into it and, and working with leaders. Then I discovered in 2012, there's people like Todd Conklin around. And I think 2012, uh, Sidney Decker actually came up with that little safety differently phrase. And all of a sudden, I have realized, well, hang on, I'm not by myself here. Uh-huh. Um, but gee, it seemed like it was like that. And still to this day, Todd, it's, 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 behaviorism is still rife. Right. You know? And um, it's not that I, I want to fight behaviorism. I just think there are, there are better ways.
0: But it, but it seems like the the direction that you're pointing is is the right direction it's a restorative approach it understands sort of the people part of it don't meet pain with pain I mean we we understand we have we have all these tools that we could pull out but I think the key component is probably creating an environment where leaders can philosophically shift towards success and we haven't done a yeah. really good job of allowing leaders the ability to succeed and, and part of that is is just because I don't think we think of leaders as people. I I mean I'm I'm sure we think of them as people. I don't mean it that way. But we don't really give them the opportunity to experiment, to try things, to move forward and backwards and so I think the discussion's really a powerful discussion.
1: Yeah. Uh, look, um apart from that initial frustration I felt, um I don't view and never did view leaders as bad people or that they're Um, stubbornly refusing to change it's just most of them actually that's the only way they knew that's what they've been taught and and i've done this through trial and error i wasn't very good when i started but i've realized you have to give them a good reason for change right they've they've got to see potential gain they've they've got to know that they don't have to throw everything out you've got to make change um, valuable and manageable for, for the leaders and so, you know, that that's what I've actually sought to do is that they don't have to completely change everything they do, but um, if they if they really want to do work better and safer and look out for their guys, there's just a few key things they really will need to do. And so that's that's been my main area of focus. Safety is really interesting at the moment, Todd. We've got all these models that you and I are very familiar with, whether you call it uh, HOP, Safety 2, Safety Differently, re- Resilience Engineering, Behaviour-based Safety, lots of models, if you like. Um, clinical psychology is no different, and this just bear with me here for a little bit of overlap. When I was studying clinical psych, again, there's all these models that we learn that we can draw from, we can use with clients. There's behaviour therapy, cognitive behavioural, gestalt therapy, loads and loads, and so... Uh, one very interesting lecture was the, the lecture actually said, what I want you to do is go away, look through the different motel- modalities that you could use, come back and tell me which is your favourite. And so we're all back in the classroom. He said, right, talk about it with your peers. And so we were talking about why this was our favourite and so forth. And man, people got really heated <laughs> right? and they got really attached to a single model. And to the point of, I thought there was going to be some biff happening. Um, and then the very sage lecturer actually called it, you know, he said, whoa, whoa, stop. And he, what he said really stuck with me. And again, this is part of the lens I now bring in. What he said was, um, if you look down the list of predictors, that is what actually predicts um, good outcomes with clients, the model of therapy you use is way down the list, way down the list. What is right at the top of the list is the therapeutic alliance. In other words, the relationship that you have with the client, the trust they feel, because they're not going to tell you stuff if they don't have that relationship. And he said, frankly, if you don't have that, it doesn't matter what modality you use. And so that floored a lot of these people. Now, it's no different to me in safety. Um, We can use HOP, resilience Engineering Safety 1, Safety 2 for God's sake, even behaviourism, but please know, um, none of that will actually matter unless you first um, have the trust of the workforce. If I'm a leader and I bring in a shiny new, new BBS program, I blow $4 million bucks on it, that will not mean a damn thing to the workforce if they're sitting there with folded arms thinking, here we go again. Um, yeah, unless you have first created that alliance with the workforce, nothing else you do is really good at it life so my work with with leaders and why i focus on leaders is to help them really create that alliance not a therapeutic alliance in this sense but an alliance where trust can thrive where um ownership or engagement can thrive then frankly whatever you bring in after that they will they will be much more likely to embrace and use as intended
0: what i tell you guys Did i not tell you like this wasn't that interesting i mean it, it's just the notion that in improvisation, leadership has to trust the fact that the musicians, the workers, will be successful within boundaries that actually make success happen. It's pretty similar to the way normal work happens on a normal day anywhere in the world. And I really, really appreciate this podcast. Thank you, Clive. You were great. As always, thanks for listening. It's great to have you on board. Tell your friends, you know, smash that like button. Have fun. And learn something new every single day. As much fun as you possibly can. Be good to each other. Be kind to each other. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe.